bet you, I bet you, you don't want none. You know you're messing with the wrong ones. Keep talking, I'ma give you some. Just keep running and running and running. Good day. It's the best day of the week. Great day to be alive. Great day to get better. I'm KL Frierson, and welcome to another episode of We Are More Than the Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I know y'all hear me say it a lot. This is a special one, but this is indeed a special one. Um, this is this is your first time being on the pod, which is cool. Um, this is your first time running your own camp, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, is this your first time running your own camp? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been the boss in other places. <laughs> <laughs> running it under different names. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, it's, it's my honor and my pleasure because, uh, I believe we became instant friends after we met, uh, which is cool because I want to give a shout out to, we call her queen. Uh, she, she made the introduction and she said, just reach out to her and see what kind of information she can give you as it pertains to getting into recruiting and what ended up happening after our conversation you just started pouring into me. So <laughs> when I say that she is a helper, she's definitely that. Um, she's got a heart of gold, but she's got a fire <laughs> <laughs> in her as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I do want to welcome to the platform, Ms. Rachel Touche. I might blank out the, the, the name at the end because I don't want <laughs> You y'all, pronounced it correctly. Yeah, I don't want y'all bothering her. So we're gonna we gonna nickname it right now. Miss <laughs> Rachel T is in the building. <laughs> so how you doing today? I'm good. I'm doing really good. That's good. That's mm-hmm. good. And uh welcome to We Are More Than the Podcast. Tell tell the audience a little bit about you. A little bit about me. I know uh, that's a broad. Yeah, question. that is a broad. Um born in semi raised in Louisiana. Uh right outside of New Orleans. So uh, I think that's where the love of cooking and food comes okay. from. Um, and then moved up here. I was only eight. So really, when I say raised, um, most of the memorable years are here. So this okay. is my hometown. So I love South Carolina. Love to go back and visit my family, but I literally only want to go to Louisiana for the food and the family and get right back up here. I got you. What's, the, what's your favorite Louisiana dish? Um, I love gumbo, okay. jambalaya. Those are kind of tied. I like to mix them together. Crawfish etouffee. <laughs> just throw it all in there. Can't go back. Can't go wrong with anything with a roux. <laughs> okay. So you do gator and roux as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So she's from Louisiana, <laughs> but she's country as hell too. Apparently, <laughs> I had gator one time in my life. I've heard people say it tastes like chicken. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say it tastes like beef. Y'all, gator tastes like gator. Bro. I don't like there's <laughs> Did you have it fried? Sure. I don't know how uh-huh. I had it. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, they said this is gator. It was, uh, oh, we do this okay. thing called Taste of Clarin okay. in my hometown. And I had gator there. I had snake there, uh, which you would think that would help me get over my fear of snakes. No. Not a chance. Um, I've had raccoon. I've had possum. Oh, well, you can't judge me. You're more yeah. of a swamp person than I am. Well, I don't eat those things. I grew up in the country. <laughs> so. You and my dad would get along. Yeah, yeah. Every time we go past like roadkill, he'll be like, oh, we need to stop and get that for the gumbo. I'm like, dad, that's not even funny. Um, but he still says that every time. And I'm like, 
when was the last time you did that? He's like, back in the swamps, we did it all the time. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So from Louisiana, moved to South Carolina. Uh, what school did you go to? I was actually homeschooled. Homeschooled. All the way okay. through. School system was really rough back then, Louisiana. Super okay. dangerous. And so I went to uh, daycare with my older sister, and that lasted maybe less than a week, uh, according to my mom, <laughs> because something in my sister just kicked in. And she, I mean, she was an outgoing kid, but she would cry bloody murder. Came out later, there were some things going on there that shouldn't gotcha. have. But it worked out great because it protected me from it because I was chill. I would just apparently was <laughs> walked up in there like, okay, leave right. me. Um, but she got us out of there and my mom decided to stay home um, and teach us because most of the, the schools down there were either really expensive or really dangerous. Okay, And so um, she decided when we came up here, because we weren't sure where we we're gonna live. Dad's job was kind of back and forth and we, we moved kind of all over. So okay. started out in Piedmont and I feel like I've lived in every part of the upstate, but um, she was like, I don't want them to have to switch school constantly. So when we finally got settled in Easley, actually, okay. I didn't want to go to Easley, we're right <laughs> near there. Um, so my, my sister was begging to go to school and I was like begging not to go to school. So I was like, will you let me test out? I want to go ahead and go to Greenville Tech. So okay. at 16, I was the youngest student at the time, the youngest in the history for them at that time. I'm sure it's different okay. now. Um, but I actually walked my high school graduation uh, in 2007. I had to take a break from my class to go do it. So I had to leave my college courses with an excuse letter, go walk my graduation because I still finished up school. So I had a GED just to start Greenville Tech. I got a high school diploma and then I got a college degree. And okay. most people don't need <laughs> the high school and the GED. So degree, like I got right. all of it because I just wanted to get it done. So by 18, I was done with everything. I was out working. Okay. Yeah. So you've been in just the the workforce of America since 18. Well, <laughs> yes, full time. I um I worked all the way through um the college, all the way through high school. <laughs> I started cleaning Here houses when I was 10. Yeah, I was cleaning houses with a lady from my church when I was 10 because mom wanted me to to learn how to clean her house properly. Okay. Um, and then I started at Chick-fil-A in high school because it was the only place that would hire people that were 15. I was homeschooled, so I could okay. work during the day, like swap it around. Wow. So okay. they would let me do that. And the moment I hit 16, they're like, oh, labor laws changed. We can work you a ton. So um, that's how I put myself through school. Okay. Yeah. And so you... All right, so I'm I'm learning some things. <laughs> so, like I said before, she's got she's got fire, she's got grit, but your work ethic, and and this is you got your own business now. So this is <laughs> what people should know. Your work ethic, as far as my vantage point, is unmatched by a lot of people that I've I've yeah. met, and that's insane. What instilled this? Yeah. So my dad was a grocery store manager. Okay. Um, while we we're in Louisiana, and he was very much like me. Um, he grew up uh, with really hardworking parents, but not a lot of income. So he was working through high school. He would actually get in trouble. Um, I always blame my bad grades on him in high school. I <laughs> I did get A's in college because it mattered because I needed needed the need based grants, and so you have to qualify. But um, then it was serious. Then it was about money. Then I was in the front of the class. But in high school, 
I didn't care. It was like a C student. Well, my dad says, oh, you get that from me. But it's because he was so tired. He was working 80 hours a week, managing stores at 17 and falling asleep in class. He almost fell out. Um, But he needed to provide for his family and pay his own way. Um, So he was always a hard worker. Um, And then he... He was the first to graduate in his family and he went to seminary because he wanted okay. to be in the ministry when I was a kid. So when we moved up here, it was for his first job in the ministry, really, like after that. Um, so it was hard though, because the job he took up here, it was pretty much like volunteer. Like they would occasionally send a check, but it was just like an entryway. He was doing biblical counseling at the okay. church. And so he was still a grocery store guy to me. So my dad was still gone 70, 80 hours a week. Now I knew my dad loved me and he was home every night, but I really didn't see him. And then he started getting called in on Sundays, which is when he started to focus on trying to find a full-time church job because then all of a sudden it was interfering with him taking us to church. And then he was, you know, kind of crossing that line of like, I got to support my family, but also I don't feel good about this. Like I can't continue this way. so my mom is very hardworking, but she has been a stay-at-home mother up until recently. She's working here now. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. But that whole time she took a backseat to support him because, you know, she was homeschooling a bunch of kids and keeping him afloat. I mean, there was never a day he didn't come home and dinner was on the table. His clothes were ready for the next day. Like that woman is a hustler too. So I'm not sure who I really get it from. Um, but I will say like when I think of that the first answer is always my dad okay i got you so you said something and um my and i want to thank you all (laughs) because my listenership amongst women has been growing you said your mom was a stay-at-home mom but she was a hustler and she took a back seat to to your dad to see him shine looking at that from where you are now versus where you were looking from it from has that your perception changed a little yeah i think um my mom was incredibly smart you know um when before me and my older sister you know had that incident with daycare and stuff she was working for an attorney she's just a numbers mind like she's so much more like she is the book smart right me and my dad are the street smart street smart but (laughs) she is the book smart um and she had a lot of opportunities and she she knew what kind of mom she wanted to be. Now she only grew up with one sibling. My dad grew up with a big family and extra siblings, um, basically his older siblings, children, he grew up with them. Okay. So um, he wanted a big family, knew that. She was like, I don't know, maybe one. And so she gave birth to six children. (laughs) Um, And so financially- good with math. Yeah. One don't equal six. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So um, I feel like a lot of things kind of went along with what my dad wanted. Uh-huh. Um, but they, you know, that's a trade-off. I think some women would have loved to have that. My dad's face still like lights up when she walks in a room, oh. like after 40 years. I mean, they met when she was 11. So he had to wait a while to date her, but they got married when she was 19. So like, when you think about it, it's like, she doesn't know any di- different. Right. And so I think her strength was more of a silent strength. She, you know, people don't like the term submissive, but I mean it in a good way. Like she was supportive. She was, she never felt less than, she never made it seem like that was a bad option. She actually kind of raised us to think we should probably have that. Um, But, you know, 
cultures changed, cost of living changed. Right. I don't know too many people getting that deal unless they do have six kids because it would cost a fortune to put right. them somewhere. But um, yeah, I think looking at it now, I have so much more respect and appreciation. Um, and what I mean by that is I've even had to have a conversation with her about like, I've chosen not to have children myself. Okay. Doesn't mean I won't adopt or whatnot down the road, but I know how I work and how my mind works. And I can't be the type of mom that I had and do this. And I love this okay. and this is what I'm good at. And so I told her, I said, I don't have kids because I don't like to feel like a failure or anything. And I had the best mom in the world. And, and I know what she created. I mean, three of us are already business owners and right. I don't know what's gonna happen with the, the little ones, you know? So <laughs> it's it's one of those things like she, she did it well, she did it humbly. Um, I never remember my mom buying herself clothes. I never, like the things that women worry about, my mom never worried about. I got you. And she always worried about her kids and her husband. She didn't care what anybody else thought. Um, she does not live for like now. She, you know, it's just, it's, it's just so different. I don't really know many women like that. And so I feel super privileged that, um, you know, if I wind up half the person she is, then I'm not, I don't really care what anybody thinks either. I got you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think now it's just more of a, wow, so many people struggle with that because she did the budgeting. Like, that's the crazy thing. You know, people think about like, oh, everything's gotta be, no, like he came home and that check was theirs. Right. He knew what she was doing. Right. And she was so smart. She could save money. She'd sit there. She'd do all the extra work because she was home. Well, and not so only you that have she to. was home, but let's talk about her previous career. Prior. Yeah, yeah. So she was so able she's to. There. And I can't tell you how many times she's gotten him out of trouble or saved him at the last minute, saved all of us at the last minute. Um, but always just soft-spoken, well-liked, well-respected because she just wasn't involved. She didn't have time to have a bunch of friends. She didn't have time for drama. She right. didn't do it. And so like... I didn't know anybody that nobody had anything bad to say, but when I say I've gone my whole life without anyone disliking my mom, like I can't think of a single person that has a negative thing to say about her. And so it's kind of to the point where I'm almost like, I wish somebody would, because I feel like everybody would just be like, there ain't no way that's not her. So I have the best mom in the world. Um, but my dad is really good to her too. Like okay. he knows what she's, you know, when he told her like, hey, I want to go on the mission field to Africa. I know you said the one place you never want to live is Africa. It's too hot. She's as pale as I am, right. you know, and he doesn't have that problem. And so he's got that good occasion. And he's like, those are my people. I got to go. Um, and my mom's like, uh, what are we going to eat there? What are we going to, you know, I, I don't know if they make enough sunscreen for me to do that. And, but she went because she loves him and that's her person. And if God calls him to go, that means he called her. And so she said, she'll never tell God where she's not going to go again, because the moment she did that, that's, all of a sudden what was created. Um, but, you know, on the flip side of that, she's got a man that we never have to question. He's you. incredibly dedicated and faithful and proud of her. He brags on her all the time. And he should, you know, but uh, it's interesting to see. They're very different personality-wise. My dad's like me, very outgoing. My mom, she can be, but she's, right. she doesn't prefer, she would like to be alone with the book, left alone in the corner <laughs> of the room and doing her own little thing. Um, she never watches TV. Dad would prefer to watch the TV. Like, right. you know, she doesn't care about sports. You know, she used to, I was very much like my dad. He raised me to be a boy because he wanted boys. And right. so we're in every sport. I and mean, six girls. Yeah. Jesus. And it was, well, it was He's five a, girls and one saint. boy. 
and he's the baby. And he kept saying, "I'm try we're trying until we have a boy. But actually he was a surprise. She, okay. she was told there would be no more children. And then when she thought she was maybe approaching menopause, something was wrong. She went in and they were like, oh, you're gonna have a baby boy. <laughs> call that a uh-oh baby yeah so um and it was years later so so i am 12 years older than my youngest um, biological brother and then of course they adopted joe and he's seven okay. and i'm 34 so there's a good little chunk there yeah yeah just a little bit so she's a career mom literally yeah, so i and it's it's amazing to hear yeah i got the hustle and the grind from my dad but it seems like you got the planning the stick to itiveness, the seeing it through, the being able to, it's, you got a combination of both. However, and I, and we spoke about your dad before mm -hmm. you, you, and you speak glowingly about your parents, which is awesome. I do too. Uh, everybody knows I call my dad, mm -hmm. my Yoda. That's my guy. <laughs> and my mom's my first love. So yeah. the, my music taste, my ability to dress, all of these different mm -hmm. things come from my mom. My And I had the perfect crew because my dad always told me what to say to women. Mm -hmm. My mom always told me the woman to say it. To. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and seeing that dynamic, you would never think, and maybe it was you growing up, to hear you speak that way of someone who would just be considered an at-home mom. Yeah. But... That was the sign of the first business owner yeah. in the house yeah. was your mama because she she ran the show. Mm -hmm. um, I heard a pastor say pastor. that the man is the conqueror and the woman who gets the entire check is more than a conqueror yeah. because it's God handled the battle <laughs> and I got the results from the battle. So yeah. I'm like, OK, cool. My dad would like that. And he would say, son, when you going to preach? Um, <laughs> it's true. But I'm not. Uh. Well, you know, the real strength in their relationship is, and we talk about this a lot, especially since my dad had a heart attack, that my dad always says, I hope I go first. I got to go first because I can't do life without her. And it's reality. Mm -hmm. Let's let's be honest. She doesn't spoil that man. He doesn't know how to do anything. Like she, she pays all the bills. She knows all the stuff. She's got it super organized. She's got it ready and in a plan for me because she knows he's not going to be able to do it if something happens, you know, that kind of thing. But on the flip side, we always joke because we're like, dad, well, you know, if you go first, um, mom will be just fine. I said, but she's not, we're going to force you to get remarried, right. but mom will be fine. And mom's response to that was, yeah, I don't have time to train somebody all over again. Oh, I'll be fine. I got my kids. I got people that love me, support, you know, she's not, and she loves my dad. She, she hopes they go at the same time. I hope that for them too, but, um, it would be hard on me, but I, I also can't really picture them together. But I'm like, dad, you're going to be so pitiful and so needy. And I really just don't want to deal with yeah. you like that. So we will find you somebody if we have to. And dad's like, no, I will never do. It. I'm like, dad, you're going to have to. You, you, right. You're not built to be alone. Mom, she'd probably be a little relieved because a little less work on her plate. Like, I mean, she loves them, but it's like, you know, cold <laughs> but it is funny. I'm like, you know, that's when you know the power of a, a woman is when she's like, you know what? Like. I have loved him. I have loved him well. And I want to do that to the end. But he has instilled in me that I will be okay regardless. Right. So, right. you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, wonderful upbringings. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I said it with an S for you and myself. Uh, cause I, we I, hit the yeah, lottery. We know. You. We're bragging. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody's sitting here like, you ain't got no daddy issues. You ain't got no mama issues. Like, come on. You you right. got ahead of the game. <laughs> but when I tell you I'm in a blessed spot still, yeah. and, yeah. and I enjoy it, and I, I see that you are so much so to the point that your mom is working with you, which I think is cool. <laughs> Um, so the person who owns the business has the business minded person that's working, working. Who with else them. you going to trust to do your books other right. than your mama? Come on. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so you went through life, you got your degree and then you get into the professional world. Mm-hmm. What made you jump into recruiting and what were you doing prior to getting into recruiting? So I, did a little bit of everything and not to sound arrogant it was actually really hard because everything i went and did i was good at okay but i got bored easily it's my personality okay. I, I need a challenge i need to be juggling things um i am not a data entry person i am not a i need to be where the people are i need the action i need the hotheads i need all the stuff in between like i need to get a reason to get out of bed and i just couldn't find that um i held multiple main every place i went to i wound up working up to some type of management role so okay. i did hotel work i was a guest service manager in downtown greenville it's great at it um it was horrible because you had to work every weekend. Um, and there were certain great things about it and there were certain terrible things about it. Um, I did insurance, went and got my insurance license, worked for Allstate, worked for State Farm, a uh, couple different positions, an independent one. Um, and I, it was so boring to me. And so many people like loved it but I just felt like a glorified receptionist. And I was like, I can do more than this. So then they're like, well, you can be head of marketing. And I was like, still would get bored. And so um, I would try different things and then I would just be like, I don't want to do this. So I was trying to pay down some debt, pay off some stuff. And so I was working like three jobs. So then, oh yeah, always been a hustler. So it was like 90 hour weeks. Cajun or Jamaican? <laughs> oh, yeah. I might have, I don't, skin tone's wrong for that, but <laughs> I wish. Um, so what I actually was doing was a little bit of everything when I fell into it, but I had just uh, worked my way up at a Cracker Barrel, actually, a retail store and on the retail side, not the restaurant. And I was trying to get my own store and I was too young to technically qualify because you had to have a certain amount of years of experience. And I remember the most beautiful letter that my manager wrote for me, asking them to make an exception because I actually was not old enough to meet the requirements, but could you do the job? And would fill in for her when she wasn't there and that kind of thing. And so they finally gave me like a decent offer where I was like, okay, I'm finally like, I could quit working three jobs. Like I could take this job. It's going to be hard. It's going to be something new. I may have to move. I may have to do all this stuff. And um, I'll be working every weekend for the rest of my life. You work every Thanksgiving at Cracker Barrel, which is a sore spot for me because I do that for years. And that's my mama's favorite holiday. Yeah, but their turkey so, dressing is It's awesome. so good, yeah. but it's not fun when you're the one working the store during sure. it. There's hundreds sure. of people in there. It's awful. <laughs> um, so... It actually worked out. Um, it's actually thanks to my dad. He was meeting with a friend who worked in staffing. He wasn't a recruiter. Um, he's in sales. And um, he was complaining to my dad that you know, people don't want to work. People don't want this. You, know, you can make all kinds of money doing this job, but it's a grind. And right. you got to be good with people and you got to know how to read people and you got to cut through the BS and you got you to be able to juggle a bunch of different things, talk to people from every level of life. And he's like, and ours is particularly rough. Um, and at the time they were working, it was all men. Mm-hmm. 
because it's mostly male dominated industry. And so my dad said, well, I know you haven't seen Rachel since she's a kid, but she can do that. Well, you're describing, she's working three jobs. She's never asked me for anything. She pays her way all the time. And he goes, boss uh, lady from the jump. Yeah. So he was like, I don't know about having a, a young girl. I was mid twenties. He's like a young girl doing this. And what was she doing before retail? And, and so dad was telling about the insurance and he's like, Oh, okay. Well, she's smart. If she can pass that test, that's not everybody. It's like a 50 something percent fail rate the first right. time in the state. And dad's like, well, she studied and had a lot of people praying for her. In other words, she is not your book smart person, <laughs> but but she can hustle, right? And and that was fair and honest. Um, and I get that from him. And so he's like, don't let me, she didn't want to stay with that after she did it. Um, so he's like, she's not a data entry girl. Cause he was like, well, maybe we can use her as an admin. He's like, she's not an admin. She is a producer. So um, he decided to line me up with an interview with the owner of the company. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went up there and interviewed with him. Um, honestly, it was probably one of the worst interviews I had. And it's kind of funny because he owns a staffing company, but he he was kind of all over the place and didn't really ask me anything important. And so then like, just wanted to make sure I could work the schedule and what, you know, <laughs> um, didn't need benefits because they didn't offer me you know, that kind of thing. Just wanted to kind of check. And he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to y'all, think on it. Have me fill out some paperwork. Well, I waited like two days and I didn't hear anything back. And I had this pending offer. I had to make a decision because by then they were going to approve me. They were going to put it through. And I was about to make the most money I've ever made. And it was a juggle. But then when I had talked to him, understanding that it was commission, it was a little scary because I never had a commission job. But I thought, finally, something where it's not by the hour because there's only so many hours in a day. But I think I could make more that way. So I was like, I really want this job. This is intriguing to me. And the office was terrible. The environment <laughs> was going to be terrible. I knew I was going to be the only woman. I knew I was at least 40 years younger than everybody in the company. Like most of the people were, you know, for yeah. late 40s, early 50s or more. So the guy that trained me was in his 70s, you know, on his way out. And um, so <laughs> I called the owner. I had taken his number on his card. Right. He didn't give it to me. And I called him and he was out playing tennis. And I said, hey, it's Rachel Touche. Um, aren't you supposed to be calling to offer me a job? Hold That's up. literally how I worded it. <laughs> and he was like, uh, well, well, yeah, I was playing it to you. And I said, well, what's the holdup? I'm waiting on an offer from oh, you. Shit. I already come to work. <laughs> and I think honestly, that's what won him over is like, oh, she's crazy. You know, she can probably make it in here. So he, the first conversation we had when I started my very first day, he had the 70 something year old come in to train me. Most patient, most kind man. Cause it was hard. It was a lot to learn when mm-hmm. you know nothing about manufacturing and construction. You don't even know the verbiage. Somebody would say CNC and I'm like, what's the difference between that? And, a, you know, and I'm over right. here Googling and trying to figure stuff out. And you just don't have the confidence to have the conversation. So it's, it's hard to talk to people when you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I remember what made me dig in and stick with it was one, the kindness of the guy that was going to retire, right. that he had the patience to deal with me and all my questions. Cause I had so many questions and he just sat there and was like, Oh my God, this is exhausting. It was more work than he had to do in a while. But the owner said, now listen, this is a trial basis. Now I've just turned down the highest offer I've ever gotten. This is a trial basis because I'm not sure a woman can do this job. Wait a minute. And that you really Wait. should never say. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Uh, 
And I was like, okay. Um, and he's like, and, you know, we'll just have to see. But, you know, most people, if they're not hitting commission. Like if they're not, they you get paid like a trainee salary. It's not great. You don't want it. But if you can hit commission, you can make more than what you were talking about and you never have to work a weekend again in your life. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna make it work. So I said, I just need to know one thing. Cause he had some, still had several men recruiting for him. Some work remotely, so they weren't all in the office. But I said, um, who's your top performer? And how many placements? And the company had been in business almost 30 years. Maybe it was like 25 at that point. And um, he said, well, they can place about 100 people. So you don't have any control over the markups and what that pay equals. But if you just have a number of, I need to hire 100 contractors a year. So I wrote on the board, I'm going to hire 100 contractors this year, my first year. And he was like, you don't have any experience. You didn't take that down. This is going to discourage you. And I was like, okay. And I kept it up there in big, bold 100. And I started a little tally and I would count every person I would hire. <laughs> and I thought, okay, let me break this down. I need to hire this many people per day, this many people per week, this many people per month. Two people so, a week. So I'm sitting there and I go, well, and I, I had started in March. I told him I was going to hit it by December. So I didn't oh, even have a whole year. Like I'm you. trying to outdo the best. Right. And so, math brain. yeah, no, you're good. You're like my mom. <laughs> so, um, got to the end of the first year and boy, did he feel like a jerk. And I'd like to say a little bit of an idiot, but he never admitted it. Well, he apologized. 150 Dang. between March and December. And then I took that and I made a new goal and I put it on I'm the sorry. wall for the next year because I was like, I'm going to double my numbers. And he was like, this is 2015 was when I started. Right. So the market was good. It was hot. It was hard. If you would just dig in, you had plenty of applicants. You didn't have as many jobs. Kind of weird how it flips back and forth. But um, I would stay late. I would do whatever I had to do to make it work. And I would get in as many people. So recruiters typically want a very organized, no chaos as much as possible because they have so much on their plate. So they do everything by appointment. I went in there and changed the the auto signature on my email. I take walk-ins from this time to this time and I go to lunch from this time to this time. Outside of that, you can be here all day. And if you call me, I might skip lunch if you need to meet with me during that time. So I, my volume was just, but it made it chaotic for them in the office. I mean, right. guys, sometimes I'd have seven show up at one time and I, they're like, how are you going to interview them? I'm like, put him on testing, put him on that test, tell him to sit there. You, sir, fill out your application. You come back here and then I rotate. And they, you just have to wait. If you want a job bad enough, you have to wait. But I'll give you my full attention while you're in the chair in front of me. So my crew and I, yeah, and, and I'm going I'm <laughs> to let you get back to it. My crew and I, that's how we ran things when we were at Brown Mackey College. Yeah, yeah. And we would just have them come in and they had a 10-step process that you had to go through and we were like, screw the 10-step process. <laughs> All hands on deck. We got a bunch of people here <laughs> and we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. We've got so many. Hey, y'all take these people mm -hmm. for us. Y'all can count them as y'all's. Yeah. And then just kind of, we, we went... I'm loving the hustle. Yeah. Continue. Because, you know, you book some <laughs> interviews and then nobody would show and you wasted an hour, like, waiting. Uh, and then what I've learned is 
the best recruiters don't wait on nobody. Right. They're out doing their own thing. Right. If that means they got to make their own ads, if that means they got to make their own hand up, they're, they're out there. Like, if the weather was bad and everybody was like, nobody's going to come in today, I would go out in the hurricanes and give my cards out to local businesses and put flyers right. up in the hurricane. Like, I walk in, I'm like, listen, it's going to be dead in my office, but I, I would go to the barber shops. Like, who knows who's going to be out of work? They know. I would, I'd make friends with all those people right. and start, and then I'd come back around. Can I refill it? Hey, here's my number. Let me know when you're running out of stuff. I'll bring it. So honestly, by the time I left there, half of my business was referrals. It wasn't even, you don't even have to hustle like that anymore. It comes to you at some point. But um, that part I always did well is I was willing to do the chaos. If it paid well, I I could hustle and do that. And so he had to eat his words because I want to say my second year was 450 hires. I broke all the records. And then my biggest year was 616 hires by myself, my biggest year. And it was a hard year and it was really hard. He had to hire some extra admin to help keep up my paperwork. (laughs) And so it was really funny because he went from saying, women can't do this job to, I need a team of women. And I was like, yes, you do. Um, But I loved the guys I worked with. I worked with all these older guys and they started to retire around that time, my biggest year. And uh, it was hard to lose that because I felt very protected. Everybody was super protective of me. Everybody treated me like a grandchild, you know, that kind of thing. And and because I worked so hard, if I was sick, if I was out, I always still got paid. I always, like, because they're like, we don't want to lose her. She's an investment. Like, we just want her to come back. Oh, you got to have surgery? Oh, you can't sit down? I'll go buy you a standing desk. Like, I'm telling you what, like that sales guy that had brought me in, he made sure he took any excuse for me not to not be able to, progress and keep doing those numbers right. because he realized one day, Oh my God, the year before she started, we had three full-time guys in here that had experience working and she's crushed it. She can pull in all three combined plus some. So guess what? They let the guy retire. They fired the other guy and, um, another guy quit. Um, so you became their book of business. They didn't replace them. I said, don't replace them yet. Give me time. I can take it. I want a buffet. I'll take all the job orders. And so sometimes I'd have a hundred something different orders. That might be 20 different companies. And you have to bob and weave. You gotta, cause you can't just show love to one. And so right. you rotate and everybody thinks they're the only customer. Right. And you gotta make them feel that way. Hold on. All right. Let me go get off track real quick. <laughs> go ahead. How many boyfriends you had at one time? Oh, I'm putting you out there right now. I bet you, I bet you, you know with the wrong one. R&R Resolute Staffing primarily focuses on manufacturing, construction, and skilled or general labor roles in the upstate of South Carolina. Outside of major holidays, R&R Resolute Staffing is open Monday through Thursday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., with walk-in appointments available until 6 p.m. If testing is required, the interview process may take up to an hour, so they ask that you come prepared to stay 30 minutes to an hour. They require that you bring a valid state ID or a driver's license and a second form of government issued ID. Resolute Staffing is located at 5052 Old Buncombe Road, Suite E, Greenville, South Carolina, 29617. If you need help locating their offices, please call 864-448-1150. You can also find directions and more information at rnrstaff.com. That's r. A-N-D-R-S-T-A-F-F dot com.